two recent events that happened to friends of mine illustrate tensions that I feel exist in this time of ours. Here they are. A friend and her husband stopped for gas in a small Kansas town. Sally got out and went to fill up her water bottle with ice at the gas station store. As she entered, she noticed a sign on the door, a mask with a line drawn through it. No mask necessary was the clear message. She went in, filled the bottle with ice, and went to pay. The cashier told her harshly that she should never again fill up her water bottle with ice out of concern for the coronavirus. Sally, who is a nurse, calmly said to the cashier that if she was concerned about the virus, it would be better to encourage people to wear masks. The cashier then angrily shouted a curse phrase, which I'll you know, omit here, at my friend. My friend was shocked and calmly said, excuse me? And the cashier repeated it in an even angrier voice. My friend walked out stunned. Another friend, a man who is over 70 years old, was backing his car out of a parking space in a crowded grocery store parking lot, and he bumped the car behind him. He got out of the car to deal with this, and the other driver came over and punched my friend in the face so hard that he had to go to the hospital. We seem to be a country on edge. One doesn't know how others will respond to anything they deem unpleasant. There is a loss of civility and of the sense that we are all trying to get along in our society. What has happened to our ability to disagree or to have a mishap without worrying that someone will blow his or her top? Perhaps Noah lived in such a time as this where it felt dangerous to even suggest to someone that their way might not be the best way. When God tells Noah to build the ark and that the world is going to be destroyed because the people are so evil, Noah just accepts God's decision. He does nothing to either try to change God's mind or to change the people he lived with. We are told in this week's Torah portion that Noah was the only upright person in his generation. If he was so righteous, why didn't he try to change people? Noah's apparent willingness to let everyone be destroyed, his blasé acceptance that his family would be the only survivors, bothers the rabbis of old. You see, the rabbis know that the Torah teaches us, hocheach tocheach, you shall surely rebuke. We are called upon by our tradition to encourage people to change when we see them doing wrong. In addition, the rabbis are well aware that Abraham, who will come along in just a few generations, will respond very differently 
when he is told that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed. Abraham tries to keep God from killing those people. He figures there must be some righteous people in those cities. But Noah does no such thing. He is complacent and compliant. We can almost hear Noah saying to God, kill the world, it's fine with me. When you compare Noah and Abraham, Noah's response seems sharply, sharply lacking. And this seems particularly surprising when you consider that Noah, and only Noah, not Abraham, not Moses, not another person in the entire Torah, only Noah is described in the Torah as righteous. The rabbis cannot let this stand. They write in the part that they see missing, but that they figured must have happened. The rabbis write a midrash, a rabbinic story, in which we are told that Noah built the ark extremely slowly, starting by planting the seeds that needed to grow into trees that would then be used to build the ark. The rabbis say Noah did this with the hope that the people would either change their way in the meantime, or that they would see the trees growing or see him building the ark and ask him what he was doing. And then Noah would have the perfect opportunity to tell them that they would be destroyed if they did not change their ways. But for whatever reason, Noah does not warn his generation. The people do not change, and the generation of the flood met their devastating fate. And then, then the world starts over. At this point, so we are told, God creates a huge bow, like a bow and arrow, that kind of bow. The bow is a symbol of war and violence. But God's bow is multicolored and brings peace, not war. When we see this bow, the rainbow, in a storm, we also see the light of the sun. We see the promise for an end to the storm. And we know that the rain will cease and God will not destroy the world again. But that rainbow is not a promise that the world will not be destroyed. It's not a promise that the world won't head into chaos. It is a sign of a covenant between us and God. God has promised to let us work on bettering the world. Now we are the ones who must keep the world from becoming too evil. This second populating of the world, the one that starts with Noah, is different than the one that began with Adam and Eve. Having seen that living without laws leads humans to chaos, God quickly begins to give us rules after the flood so that we will know right from wrong. So now you and I have a problem. We have a tradition that obliges us to speak out when we see wrong being done. But perhaps like Noah, we may find it very hard to muster the courage or a conviction 
to speak out and ask another to change his or her ways. It can be awkward and unpleasant to disagree with friends, with family, acquaintances, people in positions of power. And worse yet, it can even lead to violence. There is so much in our world that needs fixing today. A short list of major problems, in my head anyway, includes poverty, racism, and environmental concerns. But truly, there are problems large and small all around us. Often the only way to create change is to communicate with the person who we think is doing wrong. Yet exactly when this world seems so in need of dialogue and persuasion, it is also a time when we may not feel safe to enter into dialogue with those with whom we disagree. Life is so complicated, and I do not have a simple answer. Certainly, each of us must do what we feel safe doing. Sometimes that will mean that we will stay silent when we really would like to point out someone's errant belief or behavior. But what I know and what I ask us to remember is that complacency is not a Jewish answer. We are called upon to continue to try to move the world in a positive direction, to remember humanity's covenant with God after the flood. So some thoughts on possible options. First, when I feel stuck that there is a problem that is large and I do not feel I can change the people around me, then I remember that there are non-confrontational ways to work on large issues, such as making donations to organizations that are doing good work, writing a letter to the editor or to policymakers about policy changes that are important, and working on ways to make changes in my own behavior. When we do want to try to alter the minds and actions of others who we feel are wrong, Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, in his wonderful book, Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, offers this advice for difficult conversations. He says, make sure you are not embarrassing someone when you criticize them. Telushkin writes, unless you are confident that both the content and the tone of your words will help the listener to overcome a designated flaw rather than demoralize him or her, keep silent. He says, ask yourself, are my words non-threatening and reassuring? In other words, we need to work on our own civility when we can model calm behavior and kindness in a conversation, we are more likely to get a positive outcome. Lastly, the rabbis teach that we should remember that people do change. Perhaps our taking a chance with a conversation will indeed change the other person or even maybe change our own opinion. We are encouraged to remember this possibility. Whether this post-Noah world survives and thrives is up to us. 
My hope is that, difficult as it may be, we will continue to work on communications and actions that move our world in a positive direction. Kenya Hiratson. May this be God's will and our will. Amen.